Hey everybody, welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G. We are here with Chad Gazzardo to talk construction, to talk marketing, and just all around good things happening in Baton Rouge. And before we get to that, I want to give a big, wonderful shout out to the amazing sponsors that make this show possible and being brought to you each and every week. Government Taco, Falaya Real Estate, Lake Men's Health Center, Horizon Financial Group, Currency Bank, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge. Without further ado, Chad, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show. I know we've we had lunch yesterday to kind of do a little preface of what we're going to talk about and everything, and I'm excited to have you on and learn a little bit more about what it is that you do. Well, thank you. I so, appreciate it. for those that aren't aware, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Chad Gazzardo, and I'm the owner of Centurion Construction Management. And what is Centurion Construction Management? We're a commercial construction firm. Uh, we offer general contracting, construction management, and pre-construction services, along with owner representative services, which we can get into that a little bit later on. Okay. Um, but at our core, we're a commercial general contractor. Okay. So I was doing some perusing on your LinkedIn page, Uh-oh. where you get all the dirt from everybody, okay. right? <laughs> And I was seeing that you've worked for a few people prior to this. Mm-hmm. So how did you get to the point where now you're running your own show? Well, um, I think that, you know, circumstances, what always ends up uh, lending us to the situations that we're in. So um, when I first came out of college, I worked for a company called the Beck Group. They're a Dallas-based company, uh, one of ENR's top 80 companies. And <clears throat> I worked for them in the Tampa market. I also did a short little stint up in Colorado. We built everything from uh, hospital, medical centers, and um, high schools, dormitories. Uh, Got some really cool experience over there. Um, Ended up coming back to Baton Rouge, worked for Wampole Companies, uh, Mike Wampold and Ted Terrell. Uh, That was a great group to work with. Uh, We did the Crescent University Lakes. That's right there on Stanford. Um, And then after... After that, I, I was recruited over to the Women's Hospital Project. Uh, Jay Dunn was the general contractor on that, so I was the project manager out there for four years, uh, which that was a that was a very um, interesting and educational experience. Considering that happened through the 2008 downturn of the market, um, we actually that's when it happened. What's that? As I said, that's when it happened. 2008. We were we were breaking ground in the summer of. 2008 i joined the team in august of 2008 and market crashed late uh 2008 and then we shut the project down in january of 09 i didn't realize it had been that long Mm -hmm. wow yep okay we, we paused for a year and in that time frame we we redesigned the entire hospital try to get it back within budget um and so we were working with the architects and engineers every Tuesday and Thursday. We were having calls. They were saying, hey, if we change this, what does that cost? How does that impact our, our cost? And then the women's hospital folks would go back and run their performer to see how it affect, affected their, their dollars coming in. They got the and, accountants involved. Oh, yeah. And that's what it things was, got trouble It was top down, <laughs> no doubt. Um, so I think that, that that's probably one of the coolest experiences that uh, I probably won't ever get to experience again. I hope we don't have to go through another downturn like that and then have to pause a $300 million hospital that our community needs. So I can only imagine what it was like being a fly on the wall during that meeting as an organization where first you heard the news, it got put on pause, and then secondarily, how was that communicated to you all as a team? that you have this massive project that you've undertaken and everybody's being so invested in this to now say, now we got to stop. Yeah. So we had just staffed up for the entire project. We probably had about, uh, 28, 30 project managers, engineers, uh, leading that team. And, um, yeah, I mean, our project executive walked in, came in office to office and said that, they're going to be shutting down the project and we need to start figuring out how we're going to unwind it. Like what's the stopping point. Um, so that was, that was part of it. And then of course you have the, the part where the executives from Kansas city and Houston come on in and, uh, start, start chopping. 
Hey. So um, I'd only been there for about three, four months, and luckily I was one of the three that made it, that made it through. Three? Three, yeah, three of about 28, I think is what is what it was. I don't know why that number uh, stands out in my head. My gosh. But, so they, um, they had 28 people hired up, and they knocked it all down to three. Right, and that's just the management staff. That's just the, yeah. the team that's, you know, that's your planners, schedulers, project managers, Project engineers, superintendents. Um, that's not the that's not the guys actually performing the work out in the field. Okay, it's it's a lot more if you start counting those guys. Right. So, um. Anyway, fast forward four years later, we wrap up Women's Hospital, and either I had the opportunity of going to the next, you know, large uh, hospital project, you know, go and travel, but. Now I'm back in Baton Rouge, which is where I'm from, and I've always wanted to own my own company, and so I started Centurion Construction Management from there. So, were your parents entrepreneurs? Were you interested in, I mean, how, how did you always think that you wanted to own your own company? Um, yes, my, my parents were entrepreneurs. They, um, I mean, my dad owned probably a dozen different businesses, you know, from the time I was a kid, you know, through college. Um, so I guess it was kind of always there. Um, I, I never have, I, at that time I never seen what the corporate world looks like. So whenever I went to go work for the Beck group and J E Dunn, I got to get a little bit of that corporate experience. So, um, got to see mom and pop, got to see the, the big C companies and, so I, I pulled a little bit of that together and brought that knowledge to the table, and that's what we started Centurion with. So you you grew up around the dinner tables of business conversations. Yes. Because I feel like when you have two parents that are, live in that entrepreneurial world, they typically bring those conversations home for better or for worse. It's we're talking about what's upcoming, what's on the plate, and also how can we go from step A to step B. As an entrepreneur, like your work never leaves you. So they didn't ha- you didn't have that nine to five grown up experience. I mean, what was that like listening to those conversations around the dinner table or whenever they were just happened casually? I mean, was it like, did you feel was there was no other option as to being a business owner? Well, I mean, I thought that there were other options out there, but you know, being being at the dinner table, we um, it was kind of like what's what's our family to do list for the upcoming week and. Uh, that was my first exposure into construction because um, my dad, he wasn't going to go pay somebody to go do something that he could do himself <laughs> like any, any business owner. So, yeah. um, so that's where I got my, that's where I got my initial experience and exposure to, to construction. If we had some sort of, you know, remodel project or uh, demo to do, whether, you know, we were eight, 10 years old, whatever it may be, we were out there, you know, doing it with them. Look, I didn't know up until I was probably 16 or 17 that you could hire somebody to come and do remodel jobs at your own home or just work. Like, I didn't know that you could hire people for that. Right. But like, whenever you have capable young children, why why go spend that money? Look, my dad said I had three sons. Like, I got I got three boys. Well, they can help me with all this. Right. Well, it's not about the money. They were trying to teach you life, life lessons, oh, 100%. right? 100%. That's 100% what 100%. it was about. It, it was about... You, we got this sense of free time. We should be figuring out something to better ourselves or better our situation. We shouldn't just be sitting around with idle hands doing nothing. Yes. So every weekend, it was net. My friends are always like, oh, you want to do something this weekend? I go, well, I got to check with my parents first. I think we might have a project at the house. Right. And so it was that work ethic that we had to learn growing up of, no, we could hire people to do it, yeah. but we're going to do it ourselves instead. And so then you just start learning all these different lessons that I'm, I'm right there with you. Like my dad was like, "Oh no, we have to paint the paint the banisters. We gotta, you know, sand some walls. We gotta move some furniture around. We got projects." I think your father and my father were cut from the same cloth. Probably, because uh, so. even if there wasn't anything to do, if my father knew we had idle time, he had something prepared for us to do. Oh, we oh, even had friends always. that refused to come over to our house after coming to our house because <laughs> even if they came over, they were getting put to work. I have a friend of mine who didn't return to our home until we moved because he got poison ivy because we'd pull up rose bushes from our front garden. I mean, we spent all day doing that. And he had poison ivy the next week 
And he was like, Patrick, I love you, man, but I'm not coming to hang out back at your house until y'all get that over with. So growing up with that, that work centric, no idle hands mindset, you tell your parents, hey, I want to go work for somebody. Was there any pushback or were they always this do yourself type of mentality? No, I mean, I, I think my parents were, um, were very much of the, Hey, go get the, go get the experience, but don't forget where you came from, right? Um, there's, you know, no matter where you end up landing, there's always people that have helped you get there, and don't forget about those people that helped you get there. As in, you can move away to Tampa, but I expect you to be coming back home and having, <laughs> you know, doing Thanksgiving and Christmas and all the family things, you know, with us. Those traditions aren't going to change. Yeah, you can go to Tampa. Just remember when just Thanksgiving dinner is. Yep. So going to Tampa, how long were you there for? Uh, I was in Tampa for about four years, and part of that that short little stint there, I, I helped them get a project out of the ground up in uh, in Vail. So I was up in Colorado for about four or five months, um, working on a project up there, and then came back, and then eventually relocated to, to Baton Rouge. I love that. So you're, you're in Baton Rouge. You go through this 2008 time, finish up women's, and... I mean, what was there a day or a point in time when you told yourself now is the time if I'm ever going to do anything? Yeah, it's I think it's when you get the phone call from the company you're working for and they're like, hey, either you're going to go to the next job right now. This is where your next assignment will be. And they, they knew that I didn't want to go because I'd already had those conversations. Um, but they're like, hey, look, we're getting to the to the end of closeout and and punch list and all the rest of it. So it's time to make a decision. And so we had those conversations and that's when you get pushed to the circumstance, right? So, yeah. I mean, you either got to, you know, take what they're offering or you got to figure out an alternative path. Yeah. So, I mean, as an employee in that position, what, I mean, how did you even broach the subject with them? I mean, because that's not an easy conversation to have with your employer back then and even right now of, look, the next project, if it's out of state, I'm not going. Yeah, I, I'm probably a little too open um, <laughs> when it comes to that. <laughs> And I mean, my brother used to tell like my buddies when they come in and visit, like, you know, like what's going on with them. And he's like, I don't know. He's either going to get fired or promoted. I don't know which one it's going to be. Um, but I, I was, no I was, yeah, I was never one really to, to, uh, to bite my lip. I've gotten a little bit more diplomatic, um, as I've gotten older. So, uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was just ignorance. It didn't seem to be a tough conversation at the time. So you just, it was you weren't scared to take that leap to go and doing something. Oh, yourself. No, I was, I was scared. Don't get me wrong. I just knew that I couldn't sit there and have a conversation with them about planning for the next project. When I knew my heart and soul wasn't into it. It's just not who I am. I mean, you could see right through me. <laughs> you didn't have a good poker face. I don't have a good poker face at all. No, my, my wife, my, she can call me out on anything, anytime. Yeah, that you walk home, put your keys down. The first question: All right, what's wrong? Nothing. No, you, yeah, the weight, yeah, exactly. The, the speed in which you drop those keys, I know something's up. Exactly. So, what is what was the conversation like with your wife? Or were y'all married at the time? No, uh, no, we weren't <coughs> married at the time. So I started Centurion about uh, about ten years ago. We finished Woman's Hospital in in August, exactly ten years ago. Um, so that. At the time, I was I was single. Um, had again had some good help. That's uh, you know, I mean, we Battery's got a great community. If yeah. you go, you reach out to people. You tell them what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve. People tend to you know help you get there. Um, and that's really how I started. I mean, I went and you know sat down with a couple of uh, developer and real estate guys and just told them what I wanted to do. And you know, you put your feelers out there enough and. You know, not everybody wants to go, you know, bet on the new guy, so to speak. But here, let me throw you a few crumbs and go prove yourself. And um, and that's how we've kind of just built up organically over time. So what was that first job acceptance like? Um, it was it was tough. It was actually for a developer that um, out of Houston. And I, I, I'm not even sure how he he got our information. Uh, I think a subcontractor was pulling us in um, to a project that they were trying to do, and it was too much for them to do, so they needed a GC. 
and uh, that developer, you know, got us. We built the Hibbit Sports right there on on Burbank, and that was our first job. Hibbit Sports, where the where the sheriff's department. Oh, it was it, yeah, was, a, it like, was an old shopping <clears throat> center that was kind of abandoned like the, for like a while. The Guardier Extension area, yes, in that area. So no, no, the yes, the Star and Extension area. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yep. So that was your first job. That was our first job, um, and I, I, that was our first job. I was doing some owner rep work uh, at the time for Our Lady Lake, and it just happened to be that my old project executive went to go work as uh, the head of their construction and facilities department, and he was kind of light on their project management side and asked me if I would come in and help them manage some of their projects internally. Uh, and then, you know, over time that relationship changed and we ended up becoming a general contractor for them. Um, so what's, what's owner rep work? So owner rep, um, the best way I could describe it is, is that, you know, you're, you're a tax expert. You don't know much about building a new office. Hey, now, Hey, I might, uh, you may, I don't know. I don't don't mean to offend you, (laughs) but you know, so we, we step in and for people that are trying to tackle larger projects and they don't know how to navigate it, right? Like, where do I go? How should I, you know, should I go get my contractor first, my architect first? And we kind of just guide them through that process. And then of course, as we go through the process of construction, there's always conflicts. And so we're there for, you know, to resolve issues before they really become problems. Okay. So you were doing that work and then it kind of just shifted to more general contractor work for them. Correct. Okay. Correct. So going through the first project, I mean, what was that like as an owner, knowing that somebody believed in you enough to rep, to have your company represent their project? Well, I mean, it was one, it was a relief. I mean, I can remember back. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, I feel like God puts you in positions for specific reasons and, I mean, I had been, I've been trying to get something to work and something to stick and something to stick. And then like, finally, like you catch a, a little bit of a break. Right. And I can just remember where I was at about questioning myself as to, do I keep pursuing this? And I think every entrepreneur, when you're going out on your own, you know, you wonder how long can I try to sustain this before it, it actually launches and you get some traction. Yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, that's what that break did for me. The break got, got me to a point of where, you know, gave me a little breathing room financially. Uh, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have any seed money investors or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, yes, it's a vote of confidence for sure. Yeah. So you were bootstrapping all the way through. I mean, did you have any savings saved up for this or you just were like, I'm going to figure it out. I had some savings, but it's, if, if I told you, it, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Let's just say it was not very well prepared in the beginning. Although, you know, I mean, I, look, there's there's great ba- great banks out there, and um, you know, I'm I'm a huge supporter of small local community banks. I know you got a local community bank as a sponsor, um, and they're the ones that really helped me survive. Um, I went in, I told them my story, what I was trying to do, and you know, they gave me a little bit of a line of credit to to help get me, you know, give me a little runway, give me some some distance to run and um i mean i got all the way to the end of the runway don't get me wrong uh but i feel like that was as part of you know for part of my path it was almost intentional like it it had to happen so that you knew that like when you had the opportunities and and they do come to always be preparing for that day is going to come one day right of where there's not going to be the work coming in all day every day and you got to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, relationships when you're getting your business first started are so important. You know, yes. you mentioned those community banks, Currency Bank being a sponsor of the show, that's what they thrive on, right? Is building that relationship with the business owner to make sure whatever needs they have, they can fulfill. And then when you look at the Baton Rouge landscape of like you were saying, when you started to get when you wanted to get started, you knew people you could call on, "Hey, I'm starting this, I'm trying to get this thing off the ground." It was through those relationships that like business owners and entrepreneurs need to kind of focus up on like build your relationships all the way through whether you're working for somebody or you're working for yourself they matter when push comes to shove oh 100 percent. i mean when you are i mean when you're working i mean if i'm not trying to give advice to anybody but you are your own company from from day one right so i mean always 
be presenting yourself in the in the best light because you never know who you're around. Um, you may think that you're not in a you know position of where they you may feel that they're beneath you or whatever. But I mean, people observe how you talk to the ones that that help you along the way, and if you do the right things, there's there's people that are gonna always observe that and and help you out. And and I was very blessed and lucky lucky to have a bank that believed in me to get to get going. Oh yeah. And those people will remember good interactions, sure, but they will really remember a bad interaction with somebody. Yes. And I would say that's probably the the number one fear that drives any entrepreneur. You you can't afford to have a bad experience with no, somebody. No, especially in I mean, you know, Baton Rouge is a is a big small town. Uh you know, it's got its it's got the the upsides to it and it's also got the downside to it and the downside is is that you know if you if you uh if you trip and fall i mean everybody's going to know about it so it's it's your responsibility to make sure that the way that you get up from your mistake is you better handle it the right way otherwise people people observe that yeah and they're they're going to be pay attention more so to how you fix what you did if you do it well enough they'll remember that more than the actual mistake itself exactly so moving past your first, your first job, when was your first, I mean, did you make any hires at that point in time or were you still kind of just subbing out and using other people independently? Well, so I, I didn't officially hire anybody at the time. I had, I had some buddies that were, excuse me, that were in the same business and I kind of hired them for my project management and supervision. Initially, they ended up becoming my first two employees, um, which I'm, I'm extremely grateful for, you know, for them and, and, and trusting in me to come and make that leap with me to, to get launched. And, um, but I, I, I made it through, I made it through that project and, and kind of, you know, before I, I bit off on hiring an employee, made sure that I was in a good enough financial position to where I, I don't want to have to go and sit down with some of my good close friends and tell them that, Hey, look, I can't pay you anymore. And I got to fire you because I, I, I don't have any work for you. Yeah. So, um, but, but my big, my, my initial big break came through, um, Donnie gyros, a local developer, real estate guy. Um, you know, I went and sat down with him and told him what I was trying to do. And I mean, he, he, he's still very generous. Um, came in and, He's like, hey, this is a deal I'm trying to work on. Why don't you help me try to put it together? He asked me, where, where are you officing from? I'm like, I'm officing from my house. <laughs> and he's like, I got a vacant office down the hall. You want to you wanna come office in over here? No way. You know, and he's like, you don't owe me anything for it. Um, if we end up making the deal work, pay me back rent, right? So no risk for me. Right. Uh, not to mention it was good to be in an office with a bunch of real estate guys and have uh, you know just have some of that energy around you every day um, so he kind of gave me the first big break and we redid Drusilla Shopping Center um, when he acquired it we did a bunch of uh, you know a bunch of restoration work kind of bring that shopping center back to life that was right whenever LeBlanc's was moving in into the center of, uh, what was it I believe his high neighbor had moved out mm -hmm. and uh, and that was that was it. That was the first. That's the one with Rouse's now. Yep, Rouse's okay. is there. Drusilla Seafood. Yep, Rotary's over there. You got Canes around the corner. Canes is right in there. the parking lot. And yep. Okay. Right there. So that was that was it. And was that at the point in time where you knew you had made it within your company, or was it still like, okay, we've got this next stepping stone in place, but we're nowhere near where I want to be? No, I, I don't know if. I'd, Have you made it yet? I think I think every entrepreneur like always asks themselves that question, right? Like when I mean I've been doing it for ten years, right? I I have multiple employees. We have systems and processes, and you know, uh, you know, operating procedures and things of that nature. Like we're it's no longer just Chad doing construction. I mean, it's it is a business. It's a, it's a running business, right? Like if I if I left for a month, like it's still going to keep running. Um, so I, but at the same time, I don't ever feel like you're, as an entrepreneur, you always have that, that fear in you that's going to keep you running. 
all day, every day. It's kind of like the story of the lion and the gazelle. <laughs> One day it'll catch up. That's it. So, I mean, is there, have you given thought to like what moment or what situation would make you think that, hey, I've made it? Hmm. Or what has made it to you? Yeah, I don't what, know. What, what, what is I, made I don't it know to what you? made it is. I mean, uh, it made it to me is, I mean, I got a, I got a family. They're healthy. Um, that's made it to me. Okay. I like that. I like yeah. that answer. So what are y'all doing today within Centurion? So, I mean, we're, I mean, we're, it, it's a, it's a great market. We, we continue to grow. Uh, challenge I think everybody's having is, is having enough staff and qualified people to, to keep up with it. We've always kind of, um, we've kind of always held the reins back a little bit saying we're not going to grow. Uh, we're going to grow organically. We're not going to go force this. Uh, so it's, it's very important that the people that we go and we get on our team, they, um, you know, they got to fit our culture. Um, we aren't like, we aren't like every other general contractor in town. I'm not going to beat down on any of them. There's a, there's plenty of great ones here. Um, but I, I think that our culture offers something a little bit unique, um, and, and for for the I mean, construction's a tough business to be in. It is. It, it <clears throat> next to the the restaurant business, I would say it's it's the hardest one. And the only reason why I say the restaurant business is harder is because your your timing for making it right is five to fifteen minutes. If you don't make if, it right in five that. to fifteen minutes, it, it your chance is done. Yeah. Um. So. I'm sorry, I lost our place. Where were we? We we were talking about what y'all are doing now. Yes, yeah, so we um we we still have uh, a tremendous amount of opportunity. We're doing a work over in Lake Charles. There's still uh, all kinds of what what is damage. It, what is Lake Charles like right now? It's uh it's slowly coming back, uh, but it is coming back. Uh, they have they have definitely. Uh, it has not been as fast and as speedy as, as it was for New Orleans to come back. I mean, New Orleans had much more devastation, um, but there's not nearly as much commerce there. Uh, so, the the projects that that we're doing over there, I mean, the, I mean, the mayor has their eyes on it, and they're doing press conferences and press releases on, I mean, any type of positive news that they can get out there. They're trying, they're trying to do it because it has been, it's been a long road for those guys. I mean, the, I mean, to get hammered with two hurricanes back to back rough. Yeah. We, and then we started working on the project then we got hit the project that hit by a tornado. Um, it's like, it's like something was jinxed over there for a while, but, um, but we're, we're up and we're running and, and, uh, we're working on like a 200,000 square foot retail shopping center, um, got like a uh, big lots, affordable furnishings, DD's dress shop and, uh, you know, Ross, Ross type stores that are, that are going back over there that we're working on. Um, and then we, we, we do owner rep work as well. Like we had mentioned earlier, we have some of those projects in Ruston and Sterlington, Opelousas, uh, we have one coming up in Menden. So we've we've kind of expanded our footprint from being mostly in the Baton Rouge market, and you know we just again we kind of organically grew. We um, we got clients. Clients took us to where they were going, and it's it's service based, and and they like what service we're providing them. So you talk about the owner rep work that y'all are doing. What kind of uniqueness is that compared to a general contractor, and how are y'all able to find that kind of? Cause it almost sounds like you're doing that pretty frequently we are we that's that's um like it's almost like a niche type of business that y'all are doing it is i would say that a, a lot of um a lot of the big construction management uh cmar is the is the the term that everyone uses they identify with it because when you're doing cmar work you're you're managing the project on behalf of the owner's interest. Even okay. though you're at risk as a general contractor, there's kind of these rules that are in place when you're doing CMAR projects that, you know, we're going to do everything above board. We're going to, we can share, you know, share our, bu our budgets and numbers with you. And 
So if you take those same principles and go and apply them um, in the owner rep world, it, it's it's doing the same thing. It's just sitting in a different seat. So it's really more about what's the process going to be for us to get from A to B. Gotcha. And, and these are the steps we should be going through. These are the best practices. Uh, and every project's unique, but that's that's why we get called called to to those uh, to those projects. Okay, so you mentioned a little bit before about your company culture mm-hmm. and how y'all kind of using that to combat this. Which I mean, it's not even industry specific. Like, just people are looking for different types of work, or maybe not even wanting to work. Like every industry, I feel is trying to hire people left and right, and there's a, nobody there. Yeah. I mean, so what has been y'all experience in that area? I mean, getting the right fit is not is not easy. Yeah. Um, you know, we've we've tried the uh, approach of you know hiring for experience, and we realized that that's that's not the best way to go. That when we hire for culture, and we can train we can train for the technical side of it. Uh, that's where we've had the best results. So, what about y'all's culture makes it so unique? I don't know. That's the probably the hardest thing to try to explain to someone what is Uh, culture right (laughs) so i mean we first off the construction business if you go back i mean you ask anybody's just general kind of um you know what's been your experience when you were building your house or whatever it is there you typically don't get a lot of positive feedback from people right there's always there's always problems and there are always delays and i think the the problem with and our industry has come a long way. Um, but the problem has been, you know, managing people's expectations. Yeah. And a lot of people like to sell something on the front end. And then as you go through the process, maybe what we sold changes and starts to change. And now it's completely morphed into what you're getting as your end result in your product. Um, our, that's, not our, that's not our culture. We're, we want you to know what your budget is on day one. And... You may go, wow, that's a lot more expensive than what, you know, this guy told me it would be. And it's like, well, we don't have a lot of information and data right now, but based off of our historical information and and what we know, what we know are the knowns. There's still a bunch of unknowns, but we we believe this is what the budget's going to be. Um, and 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 it's not like we just pulled a number out of a hat. You know, we have a scientific way of getting there, but ultimately, if if we're trying to sell something on the on on the front end just to get in somebody's pocket, then then everybody's gonna be upset at the end of the day. That's the last thing that we want. We want a repeat customer. I think some of the success stories in our business, um, you know, come from projects that never happen. Guys, we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Guys that are gonna go try to get into business, um, and we establish a a budget and give them a true expectation of what their cost is going to be. And then they go back and they second guess and they go, maybe I should scale this down a little bit before I, I go and bite off the, the big part of it. I mean, the, the last thing that we want is for an entrepreneur to go and be in a, in a financial position to where they, they're going to fail just because of when they were trying to get off the ground. I mean, just from construction cost. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think that's, when you look at the construction industry as a whole and you take it by business owners wanting to do a new development or a renovation as a construction manager, like you only can succeed if they succeed. So if they go under just by rehabbing their building or just by building a new development that they need to run their business, like what, what is your long-term plan look like? Yeah. Well, mean, their checks even cash. Right. Well, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, there's, there's plenty of times if we're, um, you know, contractors and developers and architects end up in positions of where, um, you know, they didn't good, they didn't they didn't do a good job of setting the expectation uh, in the beginning, and and they've got to a certain point down the road of where there's almost a point of no return, yeah. and like you got to finish it, um, but what's the sustainability for your client at that point? That's not a win for us. Yeah, and you can't, as a general contractor, just start eating these costs left and right. Oh, no. Then you'll be out of business. Right. We'd be out of business. Exactly. And, and then it does nobody any service at that point if it's not openly communicated. You know, and I think when you look at bidding a job, whether you're going to underbid or your margins are so tight, it doesn't allow for those levels of unknowns. 
you know, you can't, nobody could have said two years ago that lumber is going to be what it's going to be today. Right. You know, when people were used to going paying half of what the cost is now for a sheet of plywood, and then the project didn't get start started for six, eight, 12 months, now that plywood has doubled in cost. Correct. <clears throat> Nobody expected that. Nobody anticipated that the price of materials would jump so much whenever they initially bid it, if it was a six, eight, 12 month bid ago. The, the good thing about where the industry is shifting to is uh, people are understanding that it isn't a commodities business. So uh, a lot of this hard bid work, work that has been, I mean, that's the way that the public has put out their work for the longest time. They're starting to change and they're doing a lot more construction management and risk type projects. But when you, when you do low bid, uh, method of, 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 and you're going to choose that as your delivery system, you're pushing your contractor to the lowest possible cost, which leaves them zero, zero room for error. Right. right. At the end of the day, we're still a bunch of people that have to work with each other for a good duration. And, your architect's not perfect. He's probably going to make some mistakes or she's going to make some mistakes along the way. Uh, the engineers are, and we are. And if you, if you push everybody to where there's no room or margin for error, then something's got to give. And it tends to be the quality of the product in the end. And we want to be known as a service business, not as a commodities business. We're delivering a service. There's a process. You got to deal with people, for, for months at a time, and, and that's what we deliver. We deliver the experience of of the people and the person, the, the problem solvers that you're going to be working with, right? I mean, we, we don't just turn around to our client and say, oh, well, this is the issue. Go back with your architects and engineers and figure out a solution to it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're there to help them figure out what their solution is to their problem. And I think that's what construction as a whole is almost – a lot of hand-holding in a sense. Yes. Meaning the client, like you said, I don't know nothing about building an office. I mean, I know something about podcasting or tax or accounting, but when it comes down to knowing how this structure should look, what phases need to occur, that's not my forte. So when we hire, when people hire somebody with that expertise within the construction industry and they're expecting them to build whatever it may be, home, office, whatever type of structure it is, they want somebody who not only knows that, but has an effective way of communicating every step of the way with me as the owner. If I don't know that there's a problem until it's too late and then I've got to stroke out a bigger check because something came up that we could have resolved had I known I could have made a decision to change something, right? right. So if I said, I want these trims, Chad, don't care what it is, I want these trims. Well, if the trims aren't available for six to eight, 12 months, they're going to cost twice as what you anticipated and you don't tell me it's going to be more. Right. Then I'm like, wait, why am I getting this, this extra? What, this wasn't in the budget. Right. And the, and the story is, well, you told me. Yeah. Right. Well, you told me, you, you told me, me, you you told me that's yeah. what you wanted. Right. But you did it. You told me what you wanted based off some assumptions, right. That, that we need to be in a position to be able to figure out that, all right, that's what they wanted. That's what they said. But do they realize what the procurement process is going to be for that? Do they understand how the cost has changed? In the last year, I mean, the, the the supply chain. I think for everybody, I mean, there's no shock there. It's 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 been completely out of whack. Yeah. Um, I mean, we 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 have projects where lead times on materials are longer than what the project duration is supposed to be. I mean, it's longer than than a year, at, and you know, for for certain things. So, do you want to wait for a year to get? whatever it is that that you're doing i mean if you're doing a retail space i mean the economics could change uh in you know in 12 months the economics could change big time yeah um and it may not make sense for you anymore so anyway we 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 want to be the the person that comes and and helps you get to like give us the big vision give us the big goal of where you're trying to go and and let us bring some knowledgeable you know uh you know our trade partners they're they're very smart intelligent bring tons tons of great ideas and talents to the table um and when you do this design bid build is what they call it um which is which is what we do because we think we got to get the lowest number 
we leave all those ideas completely isolated from the architects and engineers along the way. You know, it's like, why can't we all sit down at the table in the beginning and, and start figuring this out rather than doing it in these little silos? Yeah, and, I th- I th- and that's when you don't have that level of communication between everybody and everyone is isolated, stuff's going to get missed as well. Right. You know, they're going to think, oh, well, the engineer's going to handle that. Or, oh, the designer's going to handle that. The architect's going to handle that. The GC's going to handle that. Then stuff just starts falling to the wayside. And then right. you go halfway through and do a site check and you shake a wall and you're like, well, somebody what forgot happened? to do what something here. here. Yeah. Oh, that we were waiting for the plumber and then the plumber yeah. never showed up. And so we just had to keep moving forward. Didn't, and didn't quite check out. So <laughs> that and, and look, I mean, you have different types of clients. I mean, you have people that want to be there watching over and knowing everything and every detail that's going on. I mean, we have some clients that are like, we trust you just go do it and make it happen. And, and let me know, you know, update me along the way. That's, that's all that, that's all that they want. Um, and you have to be able to adapt to whatever it is, whatever service it is that they want. Well, I think that trust doesn't come easy, right? You know, I'm sure your first client, I mean, maybe not. Did your first client say, hey, Chad, no, they just said, hey, go ahead and build it. Here's Y'all a checkbook. Just go ahead and go. You know, we, we trust and believe in you. But no, I mean, one of our core values is transparency. And and that's that's everything from, you know, the financial side to, you know, when there's a when there's a mistake that somebody's made. Um, let's not go cover up the mistake or try to ignore it. I mean, another one of our core values is is human. I mean. People are going to make mistakes. If you want people to be productive, you got to give them a little grace to make a mistake. Um, so, I mean, it, you continue to make mistakes. It's an opportunity to go play for a different team. Don't get me wrong. Um, I like we, that. We, I like that phrase. Right. We we extend grace. Um, and, and look, architect may mess up today. Subcontractor may mess up tomorrow. We're going to mess up the next day. Right? Like, it's going to end up happening. The question is, is how does everybody come together to get, we still have a, a client that has a need and we got to get it done for them. Yeah. You still have to finish the project. You can't all just throw your hands up in the air and say, Oh, can't do anything about yeah. it. And then just let it go stagnant for a while. Right. So going back to it on, you know, a lot of people ask the question, well, how do I know I'm getting a, a good price and, and all the rest of it? Well, there's ways that we can competitively bid out, um, the project and still bring you a good quality number. But if there's a guy that's completely way off than where all the other guys are, and if we're doing the design bid build low bid method, then I got to go with the low guy if I want to get the job. But he probably is not going to be delivering the same service that these other guys are, or maybe he missed something. And that's even worse. Exactly. Cause if he missed something, you may contractually have control over him and he has to provide you all that, but your whole job is waiting on this one person. Not to mention that there's probably 30 other vendors that are in, in, in trades folks that are involved and we got to wait on this one person before we can, we can move the project along. Yeah. If they missed a page of the plans and they didn't bid that accordingly, that's not going to end well for anybody. Exactly. And I think that that's doing a disservice to your client. Well, and also going on that same breath of going with the lowest bidder may not always be the best cost, may not always be the best cost in the long run. Right. Because if they're doing, you know, what is the phrase? You want it cheap, you want it quick, and you want it good, pick two. Yeah, pick two, because you're not going to get all three. Yeah, so you're not going to get all three. So if you want something done cheap and quick, it's not going to be good. Yeah. If you want something, you know, good and quick, it's not going to be cheap. Right. So you, you got to pick which ones you want. And then in construction, you got to add in the fourth. You got to add safety, safety, because that that's the, I mean that's the leading factor in the lost production. Yeah. More money, all the rest of it. And that is safety on a job site, whether it's residential, commercial, or industrial, matters. You have to make sure that your people can show up to work the next day. But first and foremost, you got to make sure they can go home to their yes. families. I mean that's that's the purpose of why we show up. We show up every day because we're trying to take care of, of our family at home. Yeah. If you can't go back to take care of your family, then what's the point? And we've we've all seen a lot of unsafe practices happen in Louisiana, and a lot of stories hit close to home when people talk about that. Yes, that's um, that's tragic. Shouldn't happen. Yeah, and it's, and it's bad for the it's terrible for the industry. Absolutely, because then you start losing that trust. 
you built years and years to it took years and years to build with that client where now you have this book of business you can go and show people initially hey this is what we've built here are the customers here's their stories here's us as a brand and what we're about and showing them that i mean is that something that you do going into a new client meeting is hey i'm chad but here's everybody else that says i'm chad in the work i do oh 100 percent. i mean that's that there's there's no uh i think there's no better marketing than to have a customer that that stands behind saying hey this these are the guys that did me right you know um from from inception to guiding me through the process you know this is what their scope of work was but this is what they did for me right right and that's that's the experience that we bring to our clients and when you go beyond that scope and you give that next level of service those clients are going to remember it far more the next time something happens or the next time somebody asks hey i'm looking to do this project do you know anybody that's good oh yes i gotta tell you about chad him and his team did x y and z they went above and beyond and it was a truly incredible experience and then that builds your business to the next client yes that don't, don't get me wrong there's also the clients out there that if if your values don't line up mm-hmm. they you know they're not every client is is the client for you and no I think I think any entrepreneur eventually ends up finding finding that out that um, you know if if some people are okay with it being hey I w- I want you to lose for me to win and I mean that's that's a terrible business model right um, so we we don't go you know we we try to avoid those people and and vet them out just as much as they vet us to make sure that that our our values are in line well and your so that goes back to your culture right. Your culture of who you hire is just as important as the culture of who you do business with. Because if you're doing business with somebody and people start seeing that publicly, I mean, because you have a bombing marketing team over at JC, JCW Creative. You know, they're filming what you're doing along the way. Yes. So if they're putting it out there with a customer that may not align with your core values as a business, like that's, you got to have that interaction beforehand, right? You got to know we're going to do business with you because we all, we all at the table match and we align. Let's move forward. And as an entrepreneur, we have to have that courage to say no to people sometimes. Where if you sit down with them and say, look, we're just not your team. Yeah. We're not your crew. We can't service you as well as the next person can. That's probably the toughest, uh, the toughest thing to do is to turn down, turn down work that you know that you can perform at. Um, but at the same time, the dollars at the end of the day isn't, isn't what everything is. No, it's not. And, and as, as a leader of your organization, you have to make sure that you're not putting your people in that environment. 100%, because then they won't be your people anymore. No, no, not, not at all. I mean, I mean, culture is about behavior. Um, you know, and, and I mean, I, I think Keynes does it so well, you know, where they, I mean, they're a huge, massive company. They could make it be so corporate, but when you go there, you, it looks like just a bunch of people that are there having a good time working. Um, and that's what culture is. It's that behavior of, of how everyone is interacting with each other at the point of, at the point of contact. Yeah. And knowing that the people you have on the front lines are going to represent your company well, just as you're going to represent them well when you're in the meetings with the clients. Yeah. And I know for, for entrepreneurs, it can be hard to say no to that revenue that's going to come in potentially or that future business that that one client could do. But at the end of the day, I mean, we see it in our industry within the accounting world. Sometimes you just can't, you can't have clients treat your staff and your workers the way that some want to. You know, like you said, you're going to find another team to play on. You know, we're not going to be your team that you're going to work with because I don't want my staff to be treated that way. And you've got to recognize that from the get-go. And as an entrepreneur, it's, it's hard to turn down a check yeah. that they're sliding you across the table for whatever size project it may be. But at the same time, you have to realize that it could be that next project that ends your business. Yeah. Then you ain't got nobody because you ain't got a team. That's it. So, Chad, as we start to kind of wrap things up, man, I got, we have a set list of questions we like to ask everybody. All right. They're very hard-hitting don't try to get too bogged down in them, you know. Right. Very tough. Um, so what is something you did as a kid you wished you could still do today? Um, two things come to mind. First is, is that 
I just summertime leaving the house, riding four wheelers and motorcycles. And I almost feel like my parents didn't love me or care about me. I don't know how you can, like, I couldn't let my kids leave at like eight o'clock in the morning and then come back, you know, at whatever time the sun goes down seven, eight o'clock in the evening. Um, but to me, those, those were, the, were some of the best days you're, um, you know, get $3 from doing your chores and you have enough money to go fuel up a four wheeler and get a candy bar from the, from the gas station and, uh, and you're entertained all day long. Um, Gosh, yeah. that or, or, you know, going back to the, the, um, the long summer nights of, you know, going to the gym, shooting, uh, you know, playing three on three basketball with, with, uh, with my old teammates. I mean, you know, having that, that kind of team atmosphere is always, uh, rejuvenating having that competitiveness, um, if there were two things I could go back and, and do those, those would be, I don't know which one is, is above the other though. I can, I, I used to have a buddy of mine in high school who had two four wheelers and it was like every weekend we were there mm -hmm. and it was like you said, sun up to sundown, we we're out riding those four wheelers and there are some times it got a little, a little sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens. It, but it, it ha you roll, you of, roll a couple four wheelers. It's fine. That's part of survival, right? That's right. Makes you tougher, that's you know? It. When you when you look back and you're like, did we really jump over somebody as they were standing there with a four wheeler? Yeah, it's not the smartest. Move, not the smartest thing to do. But we're still here. That's it. Thank God <laughs> you know? nothing went wrong. Absolutely. So that's those were some good times. And yeah, I'm 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 with you on that one. Yeah. So what are three lessons you've learned along the way? You've gone from being raised in an entrepreneurial household to learning business as an employee to then saying you wanted to do it for yourself what are three lessons you've kind of gathered along your path um I, the the first is is uh you know mistakes and failure i mean mistakes are going to be made um you know people throw around the failure word and until you stop getting up and in my opinion you don't fail um so you know you got to have that perseverance and and things are going to happen. You got to, you got to adjust and you got to shift. Um, what, what are our, uh, three mistakes? No, three lessons. Three lessons. Adjusting and shifting. We've got as one. Um, I, I would say that, um, it's a tough question, man. <laughs> I've made plenty of mistakes. I just got to figure out which one is, uh, is, is probably the, I mean, you're, you're going to make bad hires as you grow your company, you're going to make bad hires. And, um, we've, we've learned to, to kind of, um, uh, again, you, you got to hire for, for culture. That's, um, that's, that's your best guiding light there. Um, and then the last thing is that just the, the, ideal perfect situation is never going to happen so don't be don't be sitting around waiting for it like the stars are not going to align it never align it's it's not going to happen um you know it's like saying oh well, well we'll have a kid whenever we're financially ready you'll you'll never be financially ready to have a kid right you'll, you'll still you'll be, be waiting exactly. to have a kid you'll just be, go for it yeah on your uh, deathbed wait when were we supposed to have kids <laughs> <laughs> no that's that is so true just to just go for it whether you think you're ready or you're not ready. You just got. You never know if you're ready till you actually put your first foot in front of you. Yes. You know, are we really ready? Can we really make this happen? Is it something that we can plan? And we've seen all the outcomes. You you can't. You yeah. know, we're not an Avenger, unfortunately. We can't see all the different endings of a situation. So, what is something you love about Baton Rouge? Baton Rouge. I mean, it's the. I mean, it, it's the. It's kind of that small town mentality. I mean, if there's somebody that you want to get in touch with in Baton Rouge, you can find out a way to connect with them. Um, and I think that that's one of the, one of the best attributes outside of, you know, I mean, LSU is a, is a great organization and, and, uh, probably the biggest asset that Baton Rouge has. Um, but outside of that and the, the usual food and I mean, you, going back to culture, I mean, when, go back and look at 2016 when the flood happened and just the humanity that was out there and people like 
everybody living with everybody else and everybody going to volunteer to help so-and-so do this and so-and-so do that. Uh, to me, I think that that's, that's the best part about Baton Rouge. Yeah. We all can come together when we need come, to come together when we need to, and we don't do it enough. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. So for the final question, man, what can I do to help you? Um, just let people know about, you know, where our industry is going and there's, there's there's ways to be innovative about it whatever the old school thought is is not how we're doing things today um and there's there's always a a a better way to do it than than the way we've done it for i don't know last 80 90 years that we've been low bidding everybody into the ground and not getting a very good product in the end yeah i mean it's that the mentality of People going to space, you're sitting on something built by the lowest competitor and made with the cheapest materials and something that's exploding beneath you the entire way up. Yeah. Is, that, is that a ship you want to be on? Um, sign me up. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you, man, for coming on the show. Thanks I really for having appreciate me. It. I appreciate it. It's a great time. You got a lot going on, and y'all are doing great things in the area, so thank, thank you. you for that. Appreciate it. And I want to say thank you to everybody else, whether you're watching or you're listening to us. I appreciate it. I know the guests do as well. If you haven't already, make sure you give the show a subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to it. It helps us go a long way to share stories like Chad's and to share people in and around the Baton Rouge area. You can make the difference in helping us get that word out there about what we're doing in Baton Rouge and what the amazing business owners have to offer here and why there's a reason to stay or come back to our city. So, y'all, this has been the latest episode of the Patty G Show. Thank you all so very much and give a big, wonderful thank you to the amazing sponsors that make this show possible right now. Sell your home for a $399 flat fee with Falaya. No, seriously. Falaya will list your home on the MLS and help you get all the way to the closing table for as little as a $399 flat fee. Our online platform is insanely easy to use and will save you thousands. If you're thinking about selling your home in 2022 and want to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket, you need to check out Falaya. Falaya, real estate reimagined. Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Patty G Show brought to you by Government Taco. They're located on the corner of Government Street and Jefferson Highway. Jay is always slinging up a new taco of the month, so if you're a frequenter to Government Taco, let us know in the comments what you thought about this month's taco of the month. If you're not a frequenter, Maybe trying out this month's taco might just convert you. Big thanks over to them at Government Taco for making the Patty G Show possible. Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away. It's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. Way far in the distance. Not visible or even a concern. But as you turn 50, something happens. Retirement suddenly seems like something real, something not too far away. In your 50s, you are rolling down the runway. Retirement is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, weeks and months zipping by. But are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement? Fear not, there's still runway left. But the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade, building a pre-retirement flight plan in your 50s. Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pintus is a past guest. We love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear. How they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove, concierge service every step of the way. They're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life. Shopping for a car, they're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center with our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days, but I promise you, 
signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux. You won't regret it for several reasons, but most of those being the fact of the time it saves, where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done, and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have, you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition. So if you're an investing guy, you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future. There's no other more important thing to invest in than your health. Make sure you go check them out. Our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center and tell them Patty G sent you. Thank you so very much to Currency Bank, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show. If you are looking for a business bank that fosters on three core values, relationships, service, and technology, Currency Bank is the place for you. They pride themselves on convenient, accessible, and secure online banking resources where you can manage your account balances, initiate transfers, enroll with e-statements, and more via their online portal. Between the relationships, the service, and the technology, they are going to be that partner with your business every step of the way, regardless of what you need. Currency Bank is the bank for business owners.